0: Amen. Well, good morning, you guys, and have a seat. If you're here for the first time, know that we're just so glad you're with us today. Um, for those, for all those online with us, we're uh, we're glad you're here with us as well. Um, you know, me and my family, we spent several uh, several days up in North Carolina, just resting uh, with family. And, well, rest with kids. You know, it's it's uh, but it was good. We, we were able to get get away and be refreshed uh, in the Lord. Uh, Spend some time praying. Um, and just thinking about the year ahead and today as we finish up our Exodus series, you know, our, our text, I think it fits really well as we think about the year ahead of us. You know, there's, there's no doubt about it. Uh, our young church, a year and a half old, has been through a lot, you know, but what I think we can also attest to is that y'all, our God has been incredibly faithful. <laughs> I mean, there's not a story in this room that doesn't in some way attest to the faithfulness of God for our church. I mean, this summer and really the past six months has been a lot of fun just seeing several, uh, so many new faces. And, you know, I'm so excited about how God has positioned us for this fall. I mean, in several weeks from now, 50,000 college students will ascend onto the campus of USF, about four to five miles right from where we are. I mean, students from literally all over the world will be in our backyard. And not to mention, families will be getting back into normal rhythms after an excruciating long 2020 and early 2021. I mean, there's so many families and people that are tired and torn and have been stretched and that are searching for answers and healing and restoration. I mean, back back in May, we all gathered together on a Friday night, May May 21st, uh, for a night of prayer and worship, thanking God for all He has done and praying for so many other things for the year ahead, for this year. A few of which were to, for God to triple our kids' ministry, uh, to see student ministry birth, for better community be formed, to grow in a diversity of age and race and ethnicity, praying for retirees and empty nesters to jump into the mission of our church, praying for more salvation and baptism, baptisms, and also that our church would be a place of rest and revival for, the, for all the souls that gather with us, that we would be a place of healing and restoration. And I know that God has already answered so many of these prayers. And I'm really excited. I'm already excited about our next one earlier this fall. And I really mean this. I personally believe people around us and in our lives right now have their spiritual antennas up. Searching for answers and help and healing. Maybe now more than ever. Because y'all, I have, I have no clue what God is going to do, but whenever we look back at history, you know, many of the great awakenings and revivals and movements of God are on the heels of crisis and hardship and persecution. And we as a church, we have an option before us. Right? We can either sit back in contentment, being satisfied with all that God has done, and he's done a lot or we can seize the moment believing in faith that God is moving among us and he has shown favor to our church and has entrusted to us a mission and a task and a purpose to see Jesus change lives and to reach the world. And New City Church, I am pleading with you today that we would do the latter, that we would live with missional urgency, that this fall we would be full speed ahead, doing whatever it takes to reach our neighbors and coworkers and friends and families and school and our schools and our campuses with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, God has shown great favor on our small, young church, and that comes with great responsibility. I've been saying this a lot. We're a broken church for broken people. But what I also know is that God doesn't leave us in our brokenness. God restores us, and he revives us, and he refreshes us, and he meets us right where we're at, and he ministers us. He renews us and redeems us through the gospel, and then he gives us a mission and a purpose and a task, sending us back into brokenness. Yes, we're a broken church for broken people, but then God also sends us back into broken places with the incredible hope of the gospel. In fact, I truly believe this with my whole heart. I've said this a lot as well. The most broken thing about us may be the way in which God wants to use us the most for his purposes. I really believe that. New City Church, and all of this, I hope you see that we have a massive task ahead of us, and I'm believing in faith that God will do great things among us. But what I also know is that what we see in our passage today is vitally important to what God has called us to do. And it's that we desperately need the presence of power of God with us. We need God's presence personally in our own life. We need to be with Jesus daily, have a relationship with him, to speak with him and to know him and to hear from him and to let him daily fill and renew our hearts and souls, but also corporately for the task ahead of us. I mean, there's no doubt about it. We need God to go before us. We desperately need God with us, which leads us to our main idea today. New City Church, we need the presence of God to complete the task before us. And as we'll see today, without God in our life, without God leading us, without God going before us, without the presence of God in our life, the task ahead of us to see radical life transformation and restoration and revival and salvation and healing is too much to bear. In fact, I would say it's impossible, because a spiritual life transformation is a miraculous event, and without a miraculous savior and healer and restorer in Jesus Christ, these miracles of life change, they will not happen. As we see today, without the presence of God, the task that God has given us, we won't be able to complete it. We'll fall short. You know, I've I've given you our main idea. I'm I'm clearly excited about what I'm preaching today, and I've been pent up for two weeks. Uh, I love what I get to do every every week, uh, week in and week out. So I'm coming in a little hot today. Um, we're gonna be moving, okay? So buckle up. Uh, but let me slow down just for a second here. I, I, you know, I talk I talk about farming a lot. You know, I said I always say I have a, I had a nickname in college called Farmer Eric. Um, but for whatever it's worth, in all my adventures in life, I've never been hunting. Uh, sounds like a fun New City Men's outing this fall. Uh, maybe some of you can plan it uh, and invite me with you uh, for some dude time. It'd be great. All that to say, we're going to go deer hunting with our text today, okay? Uh, there are a lot of great things about deer and a lot of ways to kill a deer. I'm sure have never done it, uh, but what I do know about deer hunting is the best way to kill a deer is to shoot it in the heart, and that's what we're going to do today. We've got a massive 12-point buck sitting in front of us. we're going to look at the whole thing, assess the situation, kind of count the antlers, notice some spots, look at the pretty tail. Uh, But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we're going to aim small and miss small. Uh, We're going to focus on the part that drives it all. We're aiming for the heart of the text. Uh, For those of you who don't like hunting or the thought of uh, killing Bambi, I'm sorry. Uh, That's just what came to my mind this week when I thought of our text, because there's a lot here, okay? Uh, we could spend a lot more time looking at this text, but today we're going to study the heartbeat of the passage, what holds it all together and gives it life. And it's our main idea that we desperately need the presence of God to complete the task ahead of us. You know, I don't have a bunch of points today, just our one main big idea to see it over and over and over again in our text. We're going to be in Exodus 33 all the way to chapter 40 at the end today. Yeah, that's eight chapters. Uh, But the good news is, it's a lot of repeated content about the building of the tabernacle and God's covenant that we've already covered. So we're going to focus on Exodus 33 and 34, but really way more in chapter 33, because even in chapter 34, there's some very similar content from what we've already covered. So yes, we're going to span eight chapters, but I'm going to skip and summarize a lot uh, of chapter 34 to 40, those last seven chapters of Exodus, and refer back to previous uh, sermons to help us kind of tackle this big buck of a text. And so today we're going to spend a lot of time just kind of swimming and reading, uh, explaining and talking about this text, kind of like a running commentary for our passage. Uh, But we're going to emphasize over and over again our need for God's presence for the task at hand. Uh, Again, we don't have a bunch of outside stories today. Our story today is Exodus. It's one big story. So look at chapter 33, starting in verse 1. This is what it says. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here. You and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying to you and your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. And so if you're brand new, if you've been on vacation or if you missed part of Exodus, you're probably like, what in the world did we just read? Kind of like coming in at the end of the movie and not having a clue what's going on, having lots of questions. And, you know, I'm the world's worst at doing that. Uh, AJ said last week that he loves uh, movies. Well, I don't know how anyone can be bad at watching movies, but somehow I'm really bad at it. Regardless, here's the simplified cliff note version of Exodus uh, so we're not lost the rest of our time. Okay, so this this is the story of Exodus. God's people, Israel... They were enslaved to Egypt. God does a string of miraculous events and sets his people free, and then they're sent into the wilderness, and God's people grumble and complain, and God over and over again shows himself to be faithful. And then God's people, they kind of go camping at the uh, the foot of Mount Sinai, and God speaks to Moses, their fearless leader, uh, on top of Mount Sinai, uh, that mountain there. And while he's up on the mountain with God, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments that are put on the tablets of stone, as well as various other rules and laws. And then God makes an incredible promise to his people, uh, and his people say, great, we'll do whatever you say. Uh, God then gives them instructions to build a tabernacle, kind of this temporary house for God, so God can come and live among his people and be in their presence. And before Moses ever made it down the mountain with all of God's instruction for them, God's people, they just messed everything up, like totally messed everything up. I mean, they immediately disobeyed God and built an idol of a golden calf. And so all of that we've covered uh, this past summer and last summer. Uh, and let's just say in this moment where we get to our text, uh, Moses and God are not happy. And then what we just read, God said in verse one, depart, go up from here. Go to the land that I promised you, to the land of Cana. And God says, take the people and go. Do what I told you to do and go. And God even says in verse 2, just like he said he would do back in uh, chapter 23, he said, he will send an angel before them to lead them. But there's there's one very important caveat here uh, that I don't want us to miss. God told them to go, to depart and go to Cana, but because of their hard and rebellious hearts, Because they're a stiff-necked people, like he said in verse 5, he's not going with them. (laughs) They're to go and do this task that God has called them to do, but God's presence would not go with them. And God's people in this moment, as soon as they hear this, they finally have the right response. Like they finally got it right. And verse tells us they mourned. Verse 4 says, when the people heard this disastrous word... They mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. They grieved, and they mourned, and they could not celebrate what God had called them to do because what they got right and what they knew to be true was that they absolutely needed the presence of God to complete the task ahead of them. And then if we were to read the next three verses, we then see Moses go to a tent, go into a tent outside their camp. Uh, This was before they built the tabernacle, and this tent was called the Tent of Meeting. And this is where uh, they would meet with the Lord. And whenever Moses went into this tent to meet with the Lord, everybody would stand and watch in a cloud, a significant glory cloud that we see often in Exodus. This cloud represented the glory of God. And this cloud, uh, when Moses entered the text, it says in the second half of verse 9, look what it says. It says it would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And don't miss this, okay? This is astounding. God's glory would come down and God would speak with Moses. And then look what it says in verses 10 and 11. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. God's people observed Moses meeting with the Lord. And that meeting that Moses had with God, it led others to worship. Verse 11 again says, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Listen, this is huge for us today. Because us today, we don't need to go into a tent to meet with the Lord and wait for a cloud to descend on the tent to see God's glory. Because God has already sent his glory down to us and shown his glory in the face of Jesus Christ, which we'll talk about a lot today. And Jesus, as the New Testament tells us, became not just a friend with the religious elite in a holy tent, but Jesus became a friend with sinners as well. I don't know where you are or how you came in here today, but know this. The God of the universe wants to meet with you and he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to speak with you as a man speaks to his friend. God is a personal God that longs to know you and to meet you every day right where you are. And when we grasp that meeting with Jesus daily... (laughs) is a greater privilege than meeting with any president or athlete or entertainer or politician or billionaire. When that becomes a reality for us, God radically transforms our souls and our lives. And as much as I would love to meet with LeBron James or Giannis or Tom Brady or pick the brain of Jeff Bezos or have lunch with Abraham Lincoln or Thomas Jefferson, what I know is that meeting with Jesus daily is a far greater privilege. New City Church, may we treat it as such. We need to be meeting regularly with the Lord. Whether we believe this or feel this or realize this or not, our daily time with Jesus is the single most important meeting on our calendar and in our day. Now, I mean this as lovingly as I possibly can. If we are not in God's Word regularly and regularly meeting with the Lord, hearing from Him and praying to Him and speaking to Him and seeing the glory of Jesus, if we're not doing this daily, you know, we're starving ourselves. From the source of life that we need the most. And if we're not daily running to God as our source of life, there's no doubt about it. Just like we saw in Exodus 32 with the golden calf, we will most certainly run to something else, like people-pleasing or indulgences or work or fill in the blank, and it will absolutely, without a doubt, fail us and leave us incredibly empty. And I know that God has called each of us to an incredible task He's given us all a plan and a purpose for our life. He wants to use us and restore us and revive our souls. But if we're not meeting with the Lord, sitting in his presence, showing a devotion to him, we will very easily get off track and lose focus. New City Church, may we be a people that regularly and daily meet with the Lord. So much so that our meeting with the Lord will lead others around us to worship. If you want to love your neighbor, meet with the Lord. If you want to love your Uh, Your spouse or your family or your kids or your co workers or friends, meet with the Lord. If you want others around you to come to Christ and worship Him, I beg of you, regularly meet with the Lord. I'm praying, yes, I'm praying for God that He would use us in mighty ways this year. And I'm praying that we would see God do great things through us, just like we said at the beginning of our time. But one of my greatest and most desperate prayers for our church and for me and for my family is that we would be more hungry for God Himself. That we would be desperate for God, that we would be desperate to be with, uh, th- that we would be desperate to be with Him and to know Jesus intimately and personally, and that He would transform us in the process. We need Jesus. We desperately need Him. If you don't know Jesus, keep listening because He will turn your life upside down in an incredibly life-changing and joy-filled and eternal way that actually lasts. So I'm two weeks off of preaching, and this is like, I just get fired up about this. Let's keep reading. Let's see this is interaction that Moses has when he meets with the Lord. Look, starting in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, uh, Bring up this people. You have not let me know whom you will send with me, but uh, yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me, Uh, Now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. So Moses is basically saying to God, hey, uh, you sent us out to do this task, but I ain't got a clue what I'm supposed to be doing here uh, or how how this is going to work. He's like, hey, you you said go and bring out this people. You said you know me by name, and Moses uh, has found favor in his sight. But what about all these people? Moses says at the end of verse 13, hey, consider them, too. And Moses pleased to God again on Israel's behalf. And look what God says in verse 14. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Now, to you and me, when we read that, maybe we think, okay, great. Uh, That's good news. God answered his prayer. He's going to go with Moses, and he's going to give him rest. Uh, If that were me, I'd be like, all right, that's great. Uh, Another vacation sounds good. Rest is good. God's with me. We can breathe now. But look what Moses says back to God. It kind of feels like Moses isn't paying attention. Look at verse 15 and 16. And he said to them, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For now shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people. Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? I mean, back in verse 14, God just said he would go with him. And here in verse 15 and 16, Moses is complaining and saying, why won't you come with us? I mean, it seems like uh, we should look at, look at Moses and say, are you even listening? Uh, maybe we've had like a, a friend or a spouse uh, or a child. It's like, hey, are, you're talking with them." It's like, hey, are you all there? Are you paying attention while I speak to you? God just said he would go with you. And now you're complaining because you're saying he won't go with him. But pay attention here. Because although it seems like Moses missed it and compl- he's, it seems like he's completely aloof, he's actually paying very close attention Because in verse 14, God said he would go with him, singular, like that just being Moses. But in verse 15 and 16, Moses switches to plural and says, no, I need you to come with us. Again, Moses here is interceding and pleading on behalf of all of the people. He wants God to be with them all, not just himself. And for us here today, let this be a reminder that a meet in God solo, lone ranger Christianity is not biblical Christianity. We were made to be in community. Lone ranger, solo, by myself, isolated Christianity is not bi- biblical Christianity. Christianity is a relationship with us, plural, with God. This is why we the church, this is why the church is so important. This is why city groups are vitally important for us. Church is a people. It's not a service or an organization. It's people. God created us to be in community, to do life together, to be with each other, and to be in the presence of God together. I mean, before the fall, before sin entered the world, the one thing that God said was not good was for man to be alone. And Moses here, he knows that, and he models that, and he pleads to God on behalf of the other people. And this is so good. Look what God says in return in verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Listen to Moses and had compassion and showed grace to his people. Moses pleaded and prayed for what God loves we see this throughout all of Exodus Moses has been the mediator the person that's between God and God's people and here we see again that Moses was successful in his mediation in his pleading on behalf of the people and what I know for us today is that Jesus Christ is our successful mediator for us In fact, he's a much better mediator than Moses. Jesus stands between us and God and he pleads to God on our behalf. And if you're not a Christian here today, know this. (laughs) This is the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ has been made available to you and me to be our mediator, to be the one interceding for us, to make requests to God on our behalf. And just like Israel fell short and they didn't cut it, they disobeyed, and rebelled, they practiced a wicked idolatry against God, and God saw their evil and disobedience, and God called them a stiff necked people. And listen, listen, I hate to break it to us, but we're all just like them. Every one of us has rebellion in our hearts. We're all, st- I love you, but we're all stubborn and stiff necked people because of our sin nature. But yet, the good news of the gospel is that God sent his son Jesus Christ, who never sinned to be our mediator and to plead for us, to die on the cross on our behalf, to bridge the gap between us and God. And so God looked at Moses and said to him, you have found favor in my sight. You, Moses, have done right. And as God found favor in Moses, he listened to Moses' request and showed compassion on his rebellious people. And just like God found favor with Moses, even more so for us today, God has found favor with Jesus Christ, His Son, who never did any wrong. And because Jesus went to the cross and died on the the cross and rose from the grave, Jesus for us today has become an eternal and forever mediator for us on our behalf. And our responsibility, our only responsibility for that truth is to to become a reality for us, is to trust in Jesus as our perfect mediator. If you have not trusted in Jesus today, I plead with you, trust Him. He is a perfect and eternal mediator for us. This is an astounding truth that changes lives and is so encouraging for the Christian today. Knowing that Jesus Christ, our mediator today, right now, He's pleading and interceding for us. And because of that, we... (laughs) A simple and broken people are given favor in God's eyes because of Jesus. Christian, hear that. God looks at you through Jesus and says, I love you. You're mine. I'm proud of you. I'm with you. Take heart. Be at ease. Fear not. And it's not because of anything you've done or anything you didn't do. It's only because of Jesus Christ. If we don't have Jesus, we don't have anything. And like Israel, if we don't have Jesus, we should mourn and lament because it's a disastrous news. But with Jesus, we have everything. Everything. We're just saying Jesus is better. Everything that the God of the universe has is ours. Christian, rejoice in that. We absolutely have a reason to rejoice today. Look what Moses says back to God in verse 18. This is incredible. It's a bold, this is bold. I love it. Verse 18 says, Moses said, please show me your glory. What a request. Like, what a prayer. God just listened to Moses' intercession. He just answered his prayer and said, those wicked and rebellious people, I'll go with them too because of you. And Moses uh, is like, okay, I'm on your side. I want more. And then says, show me your glory. Charles Spurgeon said this was the greatest question that man has ever asked of God. I mean, think of all that Moses has seen up to this point. God showed up in a burning bush and spoke to him. God brought ten plagues and freed his people from Egypt by walking through the Red Sea on dry ground. God fed them every day in the wilderness. God turned a rock into water for him. God spoke to him on Mount Sinai. God gave him the Ten Commandments and instruction from God. He was literally in God's glory cloud. And he was speaking to God face to face as a man speaks to his friends. And then he says, God, show me your glory. I mean, Moses has seen so much. God has revealed so much to him, and he begs God for more. New City, may this be our continual prayer. God, show us your glory. We've seen a lot, but God, show us more. Just a question for us today. Are we content and comfortable, or are we longing to see more of God's glory? May our prayer be, God, I want more of you. God, I want to see more of your glory. And look how God responds to his request, starting in verse 19. And he said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see my face and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back and my face my face shall not be seen. You know, what we just read, that deserves an entire sermon. Uh, but what I'm about to say, I know it won't do justice, but I want to point out just a few things here. And so I want you to try to really pay attention. Let's put on our... Th- Uh, because I'm about to do my best uh, to take something that's very complex and explain it in about five minutes. (laughs) So hang with me. Moses just asked to see more of God's glory, and God answered him by referring to who he is, saying that God would show him his goodness, in essence saying, when we see the goodness of God, we see a glimpse of the glory of God. And then he says, when he passes before him, he will proclaim to him his name. Remember that, okay? We're going to see that in just a second. And then at the end of verse 19, God uh, God appeals to his divine election, which uh, which this concept in itself has a lot of really smart people with PhDs writing a bunch of really big, heavy books about. Uh, But for us today, I'll say this. We see the glory of God. We see that the glory of God is shown in the grace of God and knowing that God is God and we are not. Y'all can go chit-chat about that later if you want. That's another sermon for another day. But in verse 20 to 23, there's so much there. But what I want to point out here is the emphasis on the crevice of the rock and the hand of God and the face of God. Those three word pictures are also a picture of the glory of God. And we see God telling Moses that he would put him in the crevice of the rock and that he will protect him by his hand. We see that God is telling Moses that he's giving Moses' protection from his own judgment. And because of that, using those first two word pictures, God told Moses he would put him in the cleft of a rock and put his hand over him while his glory passed by. So God's protection of his people from his judgment, that was also a glimpse into God's glory. So hold on to that for a second. We'll get back to that. And then with the the face of God, that third word picture we see God saying, Moses, I'll show you more glory, but it's not in complete fullness yet. God said he would not show his face like he once did, but yet Moses would see God's back. And so in summary, Moses asked to see God's glory, and God told Moses, you can't see all of it, but he would show him part of it. And as we hear this, it should put our antennas up to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, where Paul shows us that the glory of God is found in the face of Jesus Christ. and So this imagery of seeing the face of God is all over the Bible, and it represents a full intimacy with God. And the one that I want to show you is that at the end of the Bible, in Revelation 22, 4, we see this language drawn out again, where we see that all of God's people in heaven will again see God's face and worship Him, seeing His full glory and with full intimacy. I mean, what a day that we long for when we too can visibly see the face of God in his full glory and with full intimacy. Christian, long for that day when we can see God face to face and be in his presence and see his full glory without the brokenness of the world. May we long for that day. And what is so beautiful about all of these things is that we see all of this portrayed in the gospel. And so I've lost you. If I lost you at any point right there, just check back in right here because we've got really good news, okay? Because listen, Moses asked to see more of his glory, and God portrayed pieces of the gospel. Everything I just mentioned we see portrayed in the gospel, which in short is that Jesus came to rescue us. Jesus came to rescue rebellious people. We couldn't save ourselves because of our sin, and so Jesus rescued us. The gospel, in short, again, is Jesus in my place, which then brings us into God's presence. And in the gospel, we see God's incredible goodness pass before us. And in the gospel, we need to hear the name of God. We need to hear the name of Jesus to be rescued from our sin. And then also in the gospel, we see God's radical and scandalous grace where God sees his people who are completely dead in their sin. People like you and me. And God picks us up, and He shows mercy on us, and He breathes the life life of Jesus into our lungs, and He grants us eternal life. And it has absolutely nothing to do with anything we've done and everything to do with what Jesus has done. The grace of God is what saves lost souls. There is nothing in ourselves that can save ourselves. Only Jesus can save us from our sin. If you know Jesus Christ today, God has shown you a scandalous and a radical grace that you and I do not deserve. And that, my friends, is a picture of glory. God told Moses he would put him in the cleft of the rock and lay his hand on him as a means of protection from his wrath. And we see the exact same thing in the gospel at the cross where God protects his people from his own wrath. Where we today are prote- but And we today, uh, however, are protected by the rock of Jesus Christ. And instead of laying his hand down to cover us, like he did with Moses, he nailed his son to a cross to cover us from our sins. Again, Moses asked to see more of God's glory, and God responded with a picture of the gospel. Christian, if you've heard the gospel, if you know the name of Jesus, if you've responded in faith to who he is and what he has done, and have seen God's grace, God has revealed his glory to you. And because of that, We have everything we need to be in God's presence and to have our souls and hearts refreshed daily from the Lord and to see more of his glory daily. If we want to see more of God's glory, we look to Jesus more and more. Y'all, our text today is so rich, and so I want to keep moving. Y'all, I told you there was a 12-point buck of a text today. I've got about 10 to 15 minutes left, so hang with me because it gets really good. Okay, so we're moving into chapter 34, uh, the, in the end of the book, and, to, and we're going to end the book looking at those last kind of seven chapters, emphasizing chapter 34, but we're going to look at this chapter, chapter 34, differently because, as I said earlier, we've already covered a lot of similar content in past sermons. So, and so if we were to keep reading in chapter 34, we'd see God say to Moses, make those tablets of stone that you broke, like uh, let's together, uh, make those again, and they made them again, revealing the incredible grace of God, showing a picture into the heart of God. Because it led God to renew his covenant. Again, by them remaking those stones, we see the incredible character of God that took a rebellious people, a people that completely rejected him and completely disobeyed him. And in essence, God was saying, hey, let's try this again. We're going to start over. We're going we're to have a redo. Which again, is what we see in the gospel every day. When we put our trust in G- Jesus, we get a new fresh start. We get a restart, so to speak. It's kind of like restarting one of those old Nintendo games. When you just mess up, you just start over. (laughs) That's that's what I did, at least. Uh, But it led God to say one of the single greatest and most quoted Bible verses we have in the Bible. You know, If you meditate on any verse this week, meditate and memorize this one. This language that we're about to see is all over the Bible. Because remember, God just said uh, his goodness would pass before him. And then look what it says starting in verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. (laughs) Again, Moses asked to see more of his glory, and this is what God does. He speaks to him about his goodness and mercy and grace, how he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, and that mercy and grace and faithfulness is being slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. It's available to thousands, to generations and generations, that it never ends and it never stops. Y'all, Israel, they just completely messed up, and they rebelled and made a golden calf, and then God comes in and says that he's merciful and gracious, slow to anger, And abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And that he forgives sin and iniquity and transgression. Christian, hear that today. Because no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, because of the protection that we have in Jesus, because of Jesus, our intercessor, God for us today, is full of mercy and grace and faithfulness. He, for us today, is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And if you're not a Christian here today, you too can have that. And it comes by trusting in Jesus. Through Christ, we can enter into his presence even in our sin and guilt and confusion and grief and sorrow and shame and apathy and rebellion and idolatry and lack of discipline and fill in the blank. No matter how bad we've messed up and how we treat our spouse or our family or our friends or whatever we've done, God looks at us because of Jesus Christ and says, Come to me and rest and sit and be transformed because I'm merciful and gracious Slow to anger, bounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. New City Church, if we're to become a more merciful and gracious and patient people that are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, we look to Jesus and behold him. Because we become what we behold. (laughs) Behold Jesus and look to him. New City Church, this is what we come to when we come into God's presence. This is why meeting with Jesus daily is the most important thing we do in our day. It leads us to worship and not to worry like what happened back in chapter 32. Listen, LeBron James and Michael Jordan or Tom Brady or Justin Bieber or Jeff Bezos or anybody you want to meet with, I know they can't do that. (laughs) I've seen them. Uh, They're not slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Uh, Y'all, I'm a Tom Brady fan, Uh, maybe even a fanboy. I don't know. Uh, You know, there's not a person in this room maybe that wouldn't jump at the opportunity to have dinner with Tom Brady. We wouldn't miss that for the world. I mean, go Bucks! right? We're in Tampa. But y'all, I'm about the Jesus juke is here, okay, because meeting with Jesus is better than meeting with Tom Brady. May we treat every day with Jesus as such. Again, meeting with Jesus is the most important meeting in our day. Because when we meet with God, we're led to worship. Which is what we see next in verse 8 that says, And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. And then over the next 18 verses in chapter 34, we see God renew his covenant. That Israel broke back in chapter 32 with the golden calf. Again, seeing God very intentionally show that he is a renewing and a gracious God. If you're here today, take heart. Because through Jesus, God wants to renew you. (laughs) Through Jesus, God renews his people. Because this is the heart and the character of God. So meet with him daily and be renewed daily. And then if we were to read verses 28 to 35 in chapter 34, y'all, there's so much good stuff there that we don't have time to dive into. But I want to encourage you to go and read it in your own time. But there we'd see a miracle happen. While Moses was meeting with the Lord, he was in the presence of God. Moses met with God for 40 days and 40 nights, and he didn't have bread or water. It was a miracle from God, showing that he was satisfied and sustained just by being in the presence of God. And when Moses came down the mountain with the stones, seeing the covenant renewed, his face, Moses' face was shining And all the people were amazed, and because of it, Moses had to put a veil over his face. And every time Moses went to speak with the Lord, his face would shine, (laughs) seeing that when Moses was in the presence of God, it was apparent. God's glory radiated from him. Everybody around him could see God's glory because he was with the Lord. There was no question about it when Moses met with the Lord. Again, New City Church, May we, we need to be with the Lord and in his presence, spending time with him, looking at his glory, hearing from him out of his word, talking to him through prayer, because the outcome that we see from Moses being with the Lord is being sustained by God and radiating God's glory to those around us. And then this is where we all come full circle, just to end the book. And to kind of start to land the plane here, okay? Because Moses met regularly with the Lord. Because Moses was in the presence of God, seeing God's glory, the outcome that we see in chapters 35 to 40 was the obedience of God's people to do the task that God had called them to do. Because in those last six chapters of Exodus, chapters 35 to 40, we see God's people observe the Sabbath and rest and become radically generous. And they build the tabernacle and they make the priest's garments. And they used the gifts God gave them, and to do every, they do everything God told them to do. But the major significant difference between chapters 35 and 31 and the end of Exodus, uh, those ch- chapters 35 to 40, was the obedience of God's people actually doing what God called them to do and told them to do. Over and over again, in those last few, few chapters, we see it repeated, them doing something, and then it says, As the Lord commanded Moses. We see that repeated phrase that says, just as the Lord commanded, showing their obedience. And at the very end of the book, at the end of chapter 40, after the tabernacle was built, at the end of verse 33 of chapter 40, it said, so Moses finished the work. They did what God asked, and they finished the task. And then God's glory filled and covered the tabernacle, showing God's presence was with them. And whenever the cloud moved, they moved seeing that when God moved, they moved. And when God stayed put, they stayed put. And so I want to connect all the dots here as we close because they knew that being with the Lord, being in God's presence was of utmost importance to the task and promises that God had given them. And for us as followers of Christ, we don't today follow the glory cloud because God has given us a great commission. We don't have to wonder or guess what we're to do because God has already told us. We're told to go and make disciples of all nations. And he has promised that he will be with us always as we go. New City Church, what confidence can we have for the task at hand? We're called to make disciples of all nations. And in a few weeks, there are thousands of college students that are about to ascend less than five miles from us that desperately need Jesus. There are students from all over the world that, have the op- that we have the opportunity to pick up and be their first point of content, uh, contact and to bring the hope of Jesus to them. There are families all around us that are searching for hope and answers and healing. There are singles and young professionals and 20-somethings and retirees and empty nesters and students that know they're broken, but don't know know of their hope for healing. They don't know that they're looking for Jesus. They too need Jesus. And God wants to use each of us to walk in obedience to bring Jesus to them. God has called us as a broken people to go into broken places and to bring the hope and healing that is found in the gospel. And what is vitally important to the task at hand is that we meet with the Lord, that we daily enter into His presence and be refreshed and renewed by Him, that we daily read His word and pray and speak with Him and be in community with others. Listen, in in Exodus, when they weren't with the Lord and they weren't meeting with God, the result was disobedience and rebellion. The result was stress and disappointment and worry and fear that led to worshipping a golden calf. But when they met with the Lord and saw God's glory, they saw God's glory and worshiped and God's glory radiated from them and they worship worship and obedience was the result. And so all of this to say the one big takeaway for us today uh, that is all over our passage is to go and meet regularly with the Lord to sit at the feet of Jesus daily we don't start with the task at hand we start and continue by sitting with jesus and letting him restore our soul letting him refresh our spirit and renew our strength and the result will be a radical obedience towards the purposes of god again new city church as we look ahead to this fall and all that god we hope to see god do i hope you've seen today that we desperately need the presence of god who is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness uh, to complete the task ahead of us. He's promised he's gonna be with us. The question we need to consider is will we meet with him and follow him and will we trust him in the process? Let's pray. God, you're good to us. Your word is good to us. Your word shows us the goodness and the greatness of what happens when we meet with Jesus when we come to you. God, we need to be with you. May we as a people hunger and long and thirst just to be with you daily. Father, you're so good to us. We love you and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.